Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Michael Prahl from Bull Creek Capital Partners. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks, Rama. Thank you very much, Mike. Little bit about Mike. Mike Prahl has over nine years of real estate experience, including professional roles in banking, real estate, debt, equity investing, asset management, and property management. Mr. Prahl has also been an active multifamily investor for the past six years and passively for the past nine years. So with that, Mike, you want to add anything to your background? No, that's a pretty good description. You know, as you mentioned, uh, I was, you know, I was actually a, a real estate and finance uh, major in college, kind of always been in, you know, in the real estate uh, space, either through finance or, you know, direct ownership and uh, did that for six years and then switched full side, uh, full term to the, the GP side. Got it. Thank you. So what is the reason behind choosing real estate and multifamily, Mike? Uh, well, I think it's, you know, the reason a lot of people are in, in multifamily, um, you know, for cash flow, tax benefits, um, you know, paying down the debt, kind of all the all the benefits that, you know, um, most seasoned uh, multifamily investors know of. Um, and, you know, I, I uh, w- when I was in commercial banking, I worked at a CMBS company. So I saw all different real estate asset classes, you know, office, retail, warehouse, you know, et cetera. And of course, multifamily as well. And, um, you know, I, I felt like multifamily was the most predictable. It was usually the most stable and the most granular rent roll for the most part, other than maybe self-storage. Um, and there's there's arguments for all different kinds of commercial real estate. But, um, you know, to me, I think uh, just multifamily makes the most sense. It's the most stable. And and it's, you know, the the one asset class that there's really no way that it won't ever be in demand because everyone always needs a place to live. Got it. Got it. And also uh, during our offline conversation, you mentioned so one of the deal you guys spent full cycle. So would you share a little bit more about that and what are the key lessons learned from that deal? Yeah. So, um, you know, this was actually the, the deal we just went full cycle on. We closed last Friday. So, you know, we're, we're talking early June 2022 here. So we were under contract to purchase. It, it was a 48 unit uh, apartment building in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, and we were actually under contract to purchase it in March of 2020 when kind of the world stopped turning, uh, when COVID, you know, you know, hit hit the fan and and everyone kind of just took a pause to, to kind of look at where everything was at. And so we were under contract uh, in Albuquerque. There was no hard money. So we were in our due diligence period. And, you know, we, of course, you know, told the seller, look, you know, we, we can't buy this for what we were under contract for. I mean, this is, you know, potentially a huge, huge event, you know, with huge economic uh, repercussions. So we renegotiated, we, you know, we had a long term hold, you know, hold horizon or hold period. And, uh, you know, we thought we'd be in this for at least five to 10 years was our plan. And so we thought, you know, let's take a 15% haircut on, on the purchase price. We can, you know, we'll have enough cash in the bank, well, cash reserves. We can make it through, you know, this, uh, this kind of event. And hopefully in a year or two, we'll be back to normal. Um, so we got a really, we got negotiated a really good price on it and we ended up closing. And that was, we kind of closed right around when things were, you know, improving 
you know, after the first wave of, of COVID kind of came in, let's call it. So there was pretty strong leasing demand. We took over. It was a slightly distressed property. It was about 80% occupied. So not terribly distressed, but just needed some, some work and love and a little more attention to detail on the management side. So, you know, we took over at 80%. Fortunately, the leasing market was strong and brought it up to 100% or very close to it uh, within a month and a half. So, um, you know, we were very quickly able to kind of implement our, our business plan, turn the property around. And, you know, so we've been operating it for, I guess, you know, the last uh, just a little under two years or a little over two years, excuse me, by the time we closed uh, earlier, earlier this month. And yeah, we had, you know, really good returns. Obviously, uh, you know, people that are in the space know, you know, rates or uh, values have, have gone up considerably since, uh, you know, pre-pandemic levels. And, you know, we also were able to negotiate a good price because of kind of the, the displacement in the market when we were, you know, under contract. So um, it worked out very well. We delivered over a 2x multiple for our investors. So you know, they're happy. We're happy. And uh, just trying to find the next one, which is uh, proven to be a little more challenging in the current environment we're in right now. Got it. And so how exactly are underwriting deals based on current market situations? Yeah, you know, we're taking a kind of a unique approach. Um, the last deal we bought was in September of 2021. So, you know, about eight, nine months ago now at this point, um, which is kind of crazy. It seems like time has flown. Um, that one was an assumption, uh, fixed rate, Fannie Mae loan assumption. And, you know, right after we closed on that one, we kind of, you know, lifted our head out of the, the due diligence phase and, and, you know, the capital raising phase and all of that and started looking at deals. And we noticed tremendous price appreciation just since we went under contract with that deal earlier in 2021. And so, you know, it was kind of unnerving seeing this kind of price growth when I don't think that we'd seen the NOI and the actual, we'd seen the rent growth, but it hadn't moved through the entire rent roll. There's There was a ton of loss lease and everyone was buying on bridge debt because you couldn't size anything out with agency debt. And being a former agency underwriter, I'm just naturally a little bit conservative. So lately, you know, since kind of values have shot up and, and the NOI hasn't quite followed as quickly as values have gone up, um, you know, we've really been looking at a lot of loan assumptions. Um, you know, where the, the borrower can't prepay the loan and still, you know, get the net proceeds they want for their investors. So, or the seller can't. And so, you know, we, we like that fixed rate debt. You know, I've always been a fan of, especially right now in rising interest rate environments with rate caps on bridge debt being where they are. You know, it's a, it's a little more uh, sure thing at closing when you know the amount of, uh, you know, the loan dollars that you're going to get because it's an assumption. So, I think I think all those um, you know having all those inputs not moving on you is big right now and just it's such a it's such a variable time. Um, there's just so much movement in in interest rate pricing and, and real estate pricing. So that's kind of what we're looking at. We're looking at a deal right now that's a loan assumption, and we just made it to best and final. So trying to figure out what our our price is on that, uh, we know what's going to shake out and. Um, that's really what we're looking at. We're also strategically looking at a little bit nicer deals. So, you know, we primarily played honestly in the, in the class C space. We're looking more and more at class B. Um, I don't think we'll go up to the class A space. Um, we we kind of like the, I think the B is kind of a nice hedge in between the two. So, you know, that, that's kind of what we're looking at fixed rate debt, being a little bit more conservative on assumptions. And if we can get final loan assumption, we love it. You know, it's a little bit lower leverage, but Usually the price will be a little bit lower because uh, you can't, uh, you know, push the the proceeds of the loan. So that's kind of how we're we're viewing the market right now and just being a little more cautious. 
you know, given the, the economic uncertainty at the moment. Got it. And what kind of business plan you're looking uh, based on current market situation? Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a great question. I think it kind of ties into um, the last question too. You know, we've historically always been a value add. Really our favorite play right now is a management play. So take maybe, uh, you know, not as experienced operator, not a sophisticated operator, and figure out what low cost value add um, improvements you can make to the property. You know, obviously burning off loss of lease is, is one of the biggest ways to add value to a property right now with, you know, how much rents have climbed in the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Uh, I mean, I, I think at the property we're looking at, we're seeing 15% loss to lease. Uh, they just haven't really been in the market place enough to, to realize what the comps are doing around them. And then also just, you know, the natural increase in rent so quickly, you know, there's still a lot of, of upside to be captured, even if you have been, you know, increasing rents and, and leasing at market rent on new leases. So that's that's a that's a big one that we're looking at. Uh, we are still doing like light value add, but I would say management play, loss to lease, and then, you know, um, any tech packages that we can install for relative cheap with a fixed, you know, rate. Or a very, um, you know, a, a rate that doesn't, uh, a cost that doesn't vary too much, because what we're seeing a ton of, of, of course, is, as most people probably know, is is inflation, especially on the the building side and material side, and so that's really driving a a cost and making it really hard to predict what things are going to cost and making cost overruns, you know, very prevalent right now. And so we're shying away from like the heavy value add uh, class C projects right now and, and shifting more to you know, the, the class B management plays with, with a, a smaller uh, CapEx budget. You know, I guess the only other thing I'd add there is, is we did have a fire at one of our properties um, last year and it's taken, it, it's been almost a year and we're just about finished with our rebuild on that fire unit. So that just kind of shows you, I mean, how backed up everything is. I mean, it took four months for us to get roof trusses alone and we couldn't start the rest of the project until we got that. So you know, by the time you dealt with insurance and got the roof trusses ordered, we'd already lost, you know, several months right there alone before even any major uh, construction had happened. So it's just a crazy time. I think the smaller your CapEx budget is, the less uh, physical improvements you have to do to, to implement your business plan, probably the safer and, and less risky your, your strategy is. Got it. And so are you going with in-house property management or are going third-party property management? We're third-party. We have we have properties in New Mexico and Texas. And so we have a, a property management company we use in New Mexico and then a different one we use in Texas. At some point, we we would like to potentially look into doing you know in-house and, and being vertically vertically integrated. I think there's definitely more control there. I think we would need a little bit larger scale. We're currently in about 350 units. And so I think if we got up to the 15, 1,000, 1,500 range, which we hope to be at in the next couple of years, um, I think then we can start looking at implementing you know in-house property management and really growing um, that side of the business as well. Uh, and I, I guess you're you're good at asset management. So would you share some you know best practices that you, you guys are implementing as part of asset management? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a standard is you know have have a call once a week with your property manager. You know, don't uh, you know it needs to be constant communication. And I would say constant oversight. I mean, I, I set out a couple hours every Monday to review reports. Um, you know, my, both my property managers send me weekly reports that I review. Uh, one sends it on Monday, the other sends it uh, right before our calls on, on the day of our call. But on Monday, I'll, I have a, a list of pretty common reports that I look at 
you know, through COVID, I think one of the, the things you needed to look at the most was, you know, delinquency and managing delinquency and every county was different and how they handled it. So you need to really understand how the counties handled delinquency and then, you know, implement best practices with your property manager to most efficiently manage delinquency. And a lot of that meant, you know, pushing the property managers to go the extra step, help help residents apply for, for support if they needed it. And then if, you know, the resident refused and just didn't, you know, kind of cut off all communication, just going through the, the necessary procedures to, to get the unit, you know, back and vacant and then released to a tenant that can, can pay. So I would say best practices, uh, you know, set aside time every week to dig through the rent roll, dig through move-ins, uh, you know, look at, look at leasing trends, see how much, uh, you know, uh, activity you're getting on the leasing front, dig through delinquency, you know, make sure your property managers are really um, commenting so you know kind of where things stand with each resident that may be delinquent and then make you know putting in best practices so we put in a um, we have an excel spreadsheet that we use to track all you know any eviction proceedings so that we make sure we don't miss dates um, because you know especially with, with the way things are or have been going it can be um, you know very important to not miss dates and uh, kind of further set yourself back on on those proceedings got it and thank you for sharing that so would you share any any you know best multifamily investing experience so far i mean yeah from, from my time as a lender yeah I, I think this is a common one that's probably going around now you know we've seen a ton of uh, appreciation in the past i mean really last decade but especially in the last couple of years since covid um you know we've seen cap further cap rate compression which no one really thought could happen I think now it's really important to be a cash flow investor. Um, you know, I want to see cash flow from day one. I want to be able to distribute to my investors from day one. So if something, if there's a hiccup that happens, I, uh, you know, have some cash flow to pay for it with. You know, something that was outside the business plan happens, you've got a little bit of buffer there. Um, I think that's going to be really important going forward. And then making sure if you are using variable rate debt, having you know good a good amount of reserves in place is the cost of. I mean, frankly, everything goes up, but especially uh, interest rate caps um, and all those. I, I would say, you know, stick to the fundamentals. Don't get super aggressive on rent growth, even though you might see outsized rent growth. You know, stick to what CoStar is reporting or or what the different market outlets are, are reporting, so that you stay kind of within within your means and, and don't overstretch and and you know don't over leverage. I would say just overall, right now with you know, the way the economy is kind of trending at the, the first quarter decline that we saw, it's just important to, to be a cash flow investor and, uh, you know, make sure you can uh, cash flow through these times because as long as you're cash flowing, you should be okay. Um, you know, valuations may come down a little bit with interest rates going up, but if you're cash flowing, that, that really shouldn't matter. Got it. So would you also share any challenging multifamily investing experience so far? Yeah, you know, we, we took over a deal in... April of 2021, that was, you know, 55% occupied. And you know, I think, I think you're probably seeing a, a pretty common trend in, in the deals that we we really like. It, it's usually a management plays. This was another deal in Albuquerque. The market was 95%. Our other two assets we had in the market were performing really well. You know, seeing a lot of rent growth, very strong occupancy. So we knew there was just something wrong with the operations. It was an off-market deal that we didn't even actually tour it before we went under contract. Of course, there's no hard money because we're not going to put hard money down on something we can't even pour. But um, when we did our due diligence, we realized that there was um, there was very little deferred maintenance overall. You know, there was some, but it was mostly just a complete operations mismanagement. And so, you know, I think 
I think that was kind of a really good learning lesson going through the Lisa process and, and realizing that, you know, if, if what you're seeing in the market um, isn't happening at a property, usually it's an operations thing that you can fix. So as long as you have a strong team in place, uh, you know, strong management team, strong onsite team, um, that'll definitely help. One of the biggest challenges with that, though, was 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 a lot of uh, salary or uh, payroll turnover, you know, staffing turnover. I mean, I think we went through three different managers in the first six months, probably five different maintenance techs in the first six months. Um, it's since stabilized. And we've had the, the same great onsite team for the last six months now. Um, but you know, going through those challenges were definitely tough. And then in addition to that, just the, the crazy pricing. I mean, you know, some of our budgets did go over uh, when we actually implemented them on, on the rehabs that we did need to do. So, I mean, those are definitely challenges that we had um, on that project. It was, you know, very heavy lease up, not, not super heavy value add from a CapEx perspective, but a pretty heavy value add from an operations perspective, you know, in a tougher neighborhood that needed to be cleaned up a, a bit. And so working through those challenges of a vacant, you know, mostly or half vacant building and uh, staffing shortages, you know, definitely didn't help having that continuity of, of staffing on an lease up job, as you can imagine, is, is super important. So just working through that, you know, having the, we had biweekly or, uh, calls twice a week when we first started, because, you know, we, we really needed to make sure everything was, was operating as well as it could be, especially with our staffing troubles. Um, so, you know, that was a, a really good learning lesson for us and, and something we had to work through. But, you know, after I think as of uh, January of 2022, we were fully leased up. So it didn't even take a full year. And now we're just continuing to implement our business plan and, and continue to uh, increase income and, and manage the expenses. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. And what, what is your current focus and share something you're excited about now? Yeah, our, our current focus um you know, I, I now live in uh, Woodway, Texas, which is a suburb of Waco, uh, which is uh, you know smack dab in between Dallas and Austin, so right in the heart of Texas. You know, we're focused on primarily the I-35 corridor in Texas, so I'm looking anywhere from Dallas down to uh, San Antonio. I do also still look at uh, deals in New Mexico, although they're not quite as attractive to me anymore because of how far cap rates have come down in New Mexico. Uh, when we first were there, they were at seven percent, and now they're probably around four and a half um, in the Class C space, which is it's crazy to think. Um, so the, we 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 find the best opportunity right now. We're looking in Texas to find you know the the combination of cash flow that also has you know strong upside with uh, you know population and employment growth um, projections that are here in Texas and especially along the I thirty five corridor. So we're excited for you know the future prospects of Texas. Um, seeing the, the thirty five corridor continue to grow you know, and expand and continue to to add jobs and you know that's what we're excited about. And then. You know, I do think there is starting to be some uh, price softening in the market, it, it seems like. Um, and so with that, there's always, of course, opportunity, interest rates going higher. There might be some people that, that get out over their skis a little bit. Um, so there may be some opportunity with that. I'm not not necessarily excited about the prospect of uh, anyone losing money because kind of all in the real estate space. One of the great things is we kind of all root for each other and, and try to help each other out as much as possible. But it may bring opportunities that we haven't really seen in the last couple of years as, as things kind of have been so hot and uh, there's been so much capital chasing these deals. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think to answer your question, mostly uh, excited about, uh, you know, prospects in, in Texas going for it. I still think it's going to be a great market long term, and I'm excited to, to see how it continues to grow and, and how we grow with it. Got it. And, and any personal habits that are helping you to be successful, Mike? Yeah, I, I think, you know, sticking to a schedule, I've, I've tried to be more intentional about, um, you know, waking up and getting a, you know, either a quick workout in or, or a longer workout. In, depending on the day, um, depending on whether I'm, you know, doing weightlifting or just doing cardio, helps me, uh, you know, clear my head for to get started for the day, and then setting aside time for asset management, specifically for looking at new deals. So every Monday, I have, you know, a window set aside for looking at deals, and then a window set aside for asset management. So keeping to those schedules and and making sure you're consistent because right now, I mean, it, you have to look at so many different deals to find a good one that I think that's important. And then, uh, you know, lately I mostly focus on the asset management and um, new deal um, acquisitions side, but I have been expanding my, my uh, Rolodex um, of investors as well. And so, you know, continuing to, to do that, I've been more intentional about going to uh, different conferences and, and not only learning from them and soaking up new information, but also meeting uh, other investors and, and picking their brain and potentially finding limited partners uh, for equity. So I think just staying consistent, you know, having a setting aside a schedule for each of the you know dis- different um, business avenues that I'm involved in and making sure I kind of see those through and uh, perform those activities. Got it. Any books that impacted your life in what way? You know, I'm really not much of a book reader. I think that the I, I'm really more of a podcast guy. I listen to to podcasts all the time when I'm in the car driving to Dallas or Austin or or wherever. I would say, you know, I've if, if we had to go with books, I've read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and that and uh, and that definitely started my my journey. But that's a that's kind of one that I feel like every real estate investor has has uh, has read and kind of influenced them. I'm a big fan of the Old Capital podcast and a few other real estate ones you know, to kind of stay on top of the trend. So, uh, and then I'm also really interested in macroeconomics. So I listen to macroeconomics podcasts as well and, and definitely do my daily reading of uh, on Yahoo Finance, just keep up with kind of the trends. Because, you know, macroeconomics is uh, as, as, as important as the real estate is and the location is, macroeconomics as we're seeing now has a huge impact on, you know, these small deals. So it's not all micro, it's not all about your submarket. You know, the macroeconomic environment can have a huge impact on, your deals and your valuation of your deals. So I think, you know, staying, staying focused on that and, and, you know, following that has been really helpful as well. Cool. So which podcast you are listening for macroeconomics? Uh, so there's a, Ken McElroy has a pretty good podcast. Now it's mostly real estate, but he does have some guests. Um, and one of, one of his favorite guests that I've recently gotten into is George Gammon. Yeah, his is called the Rebel Capitalist Podcast. Um, and it's it's mostly about macroeconomics. He has a lot of daily um, updates um, about just different happenings in the environment. Uh, him and I see, seem pretty close, uh, have a pretty close view on macroeconomics, maybe not as much uh, his political leanings, but um, nonetheless, it's good to get his perspective. And, and I think he's he's got a keen eye for, for macro. Got it. Yeah, thank you. So how can listeners can connect with you, Mike? Yeah, listeners can uh, send me an email. I'll send you my email so you can put it in the show notes, um, but it's M-P-R-A-H-L at wolfcreekcapitalpartners.com. And that's all one word. Uh, so that's mprail at wolfcreekcapitalpartners.com. Uh, so you can shoot me an email there um, or you can uh, send me a text and the number, which I'll also give you for the show notes. 
Um, but those are the best ways to reach me. We can set up a Zoom call and, and chat further if you have any questions or um, if you'd be potentially interested in, uh, in partnering with us. Awesome. And thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for sharing, uh, you know, your point of view on current market situation and how you're underwriting deals uh, based on that and also based on challenging experiences. Thank you very much. Well, yeah. Thank you, Rama. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, vishakapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.